listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week we're sharing the Q&A from last week's opening night screening of Knock Down the House. Rachel Lear's remarkable documentary following four female politicians as they challenged local Democratic incumbents in the 2018 midterm elections. Featuring Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Cori Bush, Paula Jean Swearingen, and Amy Valella, Knock Down the House is an emotional portrait of the changing profile of America's political hopefuls, which effectively details all facets of the grassroots campaign trail. The film is now playing daily here at Film at Lincoln Center. Head to filmlink.org for showtimes and tickets. Director Rachel Lears and editor Robin Blotnick joined Karen James from the BBC for a Q&A after last week's premiere screening. Let's go to that now. And Rachel, you want to say a couple yeah. of thank yous first, of right? Of course. Um, so thank you to Film at Lincoln Center and this beautiful theater. <laughs> it was such an amazing screen and the sound was perfect. Um, so thanks so much to Film at Lincoln Center for, for having us tonight. And um, I also wanted to thank the folks that made this project possible. Um, our executive producers, Stephanie Soakted, Christian Lazur, and Regina K. Scully, uh, the Doc Society, the IDA Enterprise Documentary Fund, Chicago Media Project, Wavelength Productions, the Perspective Fund, the Threshold Foundation, um, the Gucci Tribeca Documentary Fund, Cherry Graciosi, the Solidaire Network, um, the Puffin Foundation, and our Kickstarter backers, a few of whom might be here. So thank you to everyone who made it possible. And thank you all for being here. I'll start off with a couple of questions and then we'll have time for questions from all of you. Um, I know that you worked with these two groups, brand new Congress and Justice Democrats, to find and locate the women you were going to follow, but how did you choose them? What made you choose these particular four candidates to follow? Yeah, so um, uh, the reason we were interested in those organizations is because they were going to be recruiting these ordinary working people to run for Congress. And that aspect was very interesting to us um, as, as a personal story of, of it's going to be some kind of transformative process. I think as Verite filmmakers, we're always looking for people who are going to be going through something over the course of the next year or two. Um, and, and like I said at the beginning, we were looking for a story of, of, uh, about solidarity, of people uh, bridging divides across the country working together in unexpected ways. Um, so all of the candidates on these slates were going to be rejecting corporate funding and they were going to be supporting each other through the process. Within that, um, I think that we interviewed about two dozen candidates. I, actually, I know that because I looked back and checked today. <laughs> interviewed about two dozen candidates uh, and could, to consider them for the film and spoke to a few others uh, informally. And we really gravitated towards these four um, because we needed people that were going to be worth watching, win or lose. These were all long shot races. Uh, we did not have uh, the resources to cover 30 races and, and then make a film about the winner. We were very interested in uh, looking at what it takes for an ordinary person to become a viable candidate and challenge a political machine. So we knew in the process we'd be exploring um, those uh, relations of power and the way power works in this country. Um, and we knew there would be loss involved. So, um, so we needed people that were going to have that uh, compelling screen presence and also very personal stories motivating them to run in the first place. 
Well, my question at the end of this was, did you have a backup plan? What if they had all lost? Because the ending is so wonderful and inspirational and moving, but it was, it was possible that they were all uphill races. They could all have lost. What was your plan if that was going to happen? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a lot. It was a distinct possibility. Um, I think we looked to uh, Street Fight as an example of a film uh, uh, about uh, a losing campaign, Cory Booker's first run for uh, mayor in Newark years ago. And it's still a good story. Um, and, and it... And, and it's also, it, you know, it explores political machines and you see the beginning of the career of someone who very soon becomes a really outstanding voice in, in politics. So I think that was, that was kind of our backup plan, street fight writ large around the country. Our last film was seen as a, a very upbeat, inspirational kind of film. So I was actually kind of looking forward to the possibility <laughs> of a darker, grittier storyline. <laughs> Um, but, you know, this is fine, too. <laughs> well, your success story, you now look very prescient for having followed Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from the start. Were you as surprised as she seemed to be when she won, or did you see it coming because you'd been on the ground with her the whole time? I, I was with her in that moment, and I was as surprised as she was, only because um, you just never know. There, there, uh, there aren't public polls. There are not, uh, it certainly aren't exit polls. We had seen that momentum on the ground already in West Virginia and Nevada, uh, in the, which the, those primaries had happened already by the time the New York primary rolled around. So um, we weren't counting on anything. That said, we believed in the possibility of this being a winnable race from the beginning. We knew the strategy. We knew that, that because of low turnout in that district, that, that the win numbers were actually lower. But the bottom line with all these uh, races is that uh, the whole objective of the grassroots campaign is to turn out people who don't usually vote, especially not in midterm primaries. And when you're doing that, uh, all bets are off. You really don't, it's very difficult to predict what's gonna happen. So Robin, you're the editor. How many hours do you have to edit down to this really tight film? It works really well as a narrative and you've got it down to 80 something minutes, but what did you have to do to get there? Well, we had about 275 hours to go through. Um, everything was so compressed. It was, it was a really fast uh, turnaround. And, and we had to bring in people uh, to help. We brought a consulting editor, David Teague, who's a friend of ours, a fantastic editor. Um, and Rachel and I and David, we, we worked incredibly hard to try to create these 86 minute drafts basically we were we were we didn't we didn't have the the leisure time to just spread out all sorts of scenes that we might want to consider we had to like just zero in with razor sharp focus on what we thought was the most important stuff and i've never edited quite like that before but it was a really exciting process we did spread out all the scenes with scene cards. So. Yeah, we did, <laughs> we did a we, lot of paper editing. We did a lot of a lot of spreading out of cards on the floor for a while. In your house, because by the way, you are married and you have a very small child who was even smaller when you were doing all this, right? Yes, that's true. Um, so uh, yeah, he was he was eight months when we started developing, then one and two through the course of production. He's three now. Um, so we traveled around the country as a family producing this film. On, on a shoestring budget, and my uh, first job as producer was to watch Max, our son, while Rachel was out shooting in in places like West Virginia and St. Louis. Yes, keep keeping things on track. I used to take him to casinos in Las Vegas. And he came <laughs> back and told his daycare teacher, "My daddy takes me to casinos." <laughs> so it was it was great. 
Um, it, was a, it was a wild adventure. Yeah, Robin started the edit during his three-hour naps. We're very lucky that he's a good napper. Um, and I, I think we, we couldn't have turned around the edit so quickly if we hadn't had an editor on board from the beginning who was really you know, with the project all the way along. Hi, that was a really good film. Uh, my name is Anusha, and uh, my question, well, it's a two-part question. The first question is very low-hanging fruit. Are you doing the same thing for 2020? And a follow-up question, um, if you're in the market for, are you in the market for a colorist if you are and know a guy? <laughs> um, his name's Keith Jensen from Technicolor. Say that again, say the last part again. Oh, his name's Keith Jensen from Technicolor. Okay, great. okay, great. Keep it in mind for sure. Um, so uh, we are, we're very focused on getting this out right now. Um, we are, you know, we're, tossing around ideas of new projects, of course, but um, uh, right now we are planning on, uh, you know, really focusing on the rollout of this film. We've got a huge impact campaign um, that we're supporting. Uh, there's grassroots screenings going on. The film became available today, it's, so it's opening in theaters in 11 cities and then also on Netflix, and it's available for community and educational screenings right away. We have a discussion guide that came out and um, a curriculum coming out in the fall for middle school, high school, and university levels. Um, we're working with some fantastic organizations to make sure that the film can really be a tool for civic engagement, um, not just in this country, but around the world. It's been translated into 28 languages, and there's been you know, great conversation already um, about the relevance of these, um, these stories about grassroots movements and, and um, ordinary people feeling empowered to have a voice in the political process. And, and that's resonating all over the place with democracy movements. And so uh, we're going to be concentrating on that for the moment. But uh, I saw no plans at the moment to cover 2020. But I should mention that um, uh, Cori Bush is running again in 2020. And uh, Paula Jean Swearingen has said that she will run again uh, in 2020, but she hasn't chosen a district yet. She's considering a few options. Amy is currently writing a book um, and says that she'll run again at some point, but she's looking at 2022 right now and supporting other candidates this cycle. Is Corey running for Congress? She's again? running for the same seat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Alexandria is also running again in 2020. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> other questions? We're, yes, down here. Thanks, this was a great film. Um, my question is about the uh, other three, the three who, who didn't win. Uh, I don't think that they, their opponents were mentioned much in this film, uh, whereas we saw Crowley towards the end, we've seen him in different interviews and so on. Why didn't you include the uh, opponents of the other three? I can answer that. Sure. Yeah, um, I think the main reason you see less of the other opponents is because the other three candidates didn't get quite as um, close in the final weeks to get the other their opponents to challenge them in debates. I mean, Crowley, it got very like hand-to-hand -hand combat with Crowley in the in the final weeks of Alexandria's campaign, and there was there were more opportunities to film the two of them together, um, to see them at events where they both showed up. And that sort of thing just happened a lot less. It's, it was a lot more like what you see at the Bronx debate. Um, you know, there was a little more snubbing, not wanting to take the opponent seriously um, by actually debating. Right, that's correct. And um, all of the opponents did um, uh, decline to be in, 
involved in the film, including Joseph Crowley, but because of the debates, we were able to sketch him uh, more and, and make him more of a human being uh, in the story. Were there moments when you were thrown out of the room when the candidate said, no, you can't see this? <laughs> um, it wasn't so much, um, it, it, it was negotiations, you know, all, all the way along. It wasn't so much, you can't do this. It was more like, um, this isn't gonna work, this is gonna work, let's talk about, you know, so it's, it's a negotiation process in any documentary. You talk about stuff up front and then, um, you know, you have to know when to push and when to hold back and let someone have their own experience. We couldn't um, act, obviously film things where our presence was going to interfere with the work that was being done. So um, that, was, that was really, you know, the main sort of point of contention, if there was any. And for the most part, everyone was very willing to participate. Do you suspect that Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez anticipates a primary challenge in 2020? I think uh, it's certainly possible. I think that, that she anticipated it, anticipates it in the sense that she's prepared for it. I mean, her she certainly has dedicated volunteer base and, and if, um, you know, we'll see. It's, it's anybody's guess. Other questions out there? Thank you for a really fascinating film. Um, I was curious about what other political documentaries inspired you besides Street Fight? And secondly, recently we've had quite a few um, contemporary political biographies. There's literally an epidemic of films about Steve Bannon. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious where you see this, if there's anything distinctive about where this particular genre of documentaries is and where it's going as, as filmmakers and people interested in politics. Thanks. That's such an interesting question. Um, well, uh, I think we are, we're very inspired by a lot of verite films, certainly by The War Room as a political documentary as well. Um, and uh, gosh, I mean, we're also inspired by strong narratives that aren't necessarily political documentaries. I mean, I think we're interested in making um, documentaries that feel that, that have a strong narrative drive and, and feel, you know, perhaps like fiction films to watch in that regard. Uh, do you have anything to add about? Are there, I'm trying to think of others. Those are the big ones. Those are the big <laughs> ones, right? <laughs> um, there was, I think those were the two that we talked about the most in the, in the process. But um, as far as where the genre is going, I mean, I, I do think that it's a really interesting um, dynamic that we have going on right now in our politics, where so many candidates are telling their own personal stories on social media and agreeing to be in documentaries. Um, we know there were a lot of other documentary crews out there in 2018, and there's some that are continuing and others that, you know, that are probably new coming around this cycle. Um, so uh, candidates are agreeing to these projects and you know in, in our case we were completely editorially independent you know we, we made a firewall at the beginning to make sure everyone understood you know this we're not going to give you any footage for campaign ads you know this isn't that kind of kind of thing I, I don't I can't speak to other projects and whether whether they have that sort of arrangement or not but um, but candidates it 
our candidates saw the value, they didn't know what was gonna happen with the elections, but they saw the value of documenting that process, of um, putting out the story in a long-form narrative of what it's like for uh, regular people to run grassroots campaigns and to challenge uh, political machines across the country. So to some degree, you know, I think candidates are agreeing to this because they, uh, they see the value in putting forward that sense of their own authenticity. But at the same time, we have kind of a, a, a media ecosystem or, I don't know, uh, <laughs> pot of boiling something where there's a, a lot of just um, performance of authenticity as well. And, uh, you know, I think we are very interested in the long form as a genre to be able to inject some nuance into that political dialogue, you know, that is so easily reduced to uh, thumbs up, thumbs down, you know, to love and hate on, on social media. And so that's what we're hoping that the film can, can put into that. And, you know, I, I think other uh, long form political documentaries could do the same thing. I hope that's what happens. Well, there's been such an explosion of documentaries, of interest in documentaries lately anyway, and obviously this film has changed the lives of the candidates who didn't win too, because they have higher profile, maybe more than if they'd won those races, but they're out there talking about the film with you and it's really changed their lives too. I think we have time for one more question. Um, down here? Okay, let me repeat it. Um, you've said that this was made in response to the election of Trump. How much experience had you had in politics or political or organizing or any of those grassroots activities yourself? Yeah, um, do you want to take this one, Robin? Oh, I mean, we're both. Yeah, yeah, I think um, it's kind of funny when you say that, that it was a response to Trump. I mean, It makes it sound think, like that was just the beginning, but it, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, actually, Rachel really didn't want to make another political documentary. We've been making movies about grassroots organizing and community stuff. We actually, in the early days of working together, we were covering Occupy Wall Street as like citizen journalists. Um, Our last film was The Hand That Feeds about a, a grassroots um, labor campaign of undocumented immigrants at a deli on the Upper East Side. And uh, what happened was Rachel was getting excited about the idea of a totally non-political subject. And Not totally non-political. I think I wanted to right, maybe political. political adjacent. And we were just ready to take a break from direct politics for just a little while, and uh, and then the election happened, and it was like, oh, we have to do something about. Not a good time to take a break from America. political involvement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that it was more like that. I mean, we've we've been involved in social movements. Our our last film was also really adopted into the low wage worker and immigrants rights movements as an organizing tool. We knew that we wanted this film to be an organizing tool for civic engagement, and so um, that was uh, very much you know in our DNA as filmmakers. And, and it's important to also point out that the candidates we followed all all of them cared very much about changing this country before the 2016 election. And they're interested in moving forward, not just going back to before, you know, rolling back the clock. They want something better than what we had before. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time. I know this film will have a long life ahead of it. And thank you all for, thank you all for your questions and thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. 
Film at Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, Film at Lincoln Center presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support Film at Lincoln Center by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org. F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C dot org. Film at Lincoln Center. Film lives here.